One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the place where we explore how music binds us to our lives and our memories in order to get to know our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Larry Ford, father of Episode 75 guest Seth Ford, which is how he wound up with us here today. Larry's a Grammy-winning gospel singer who's found audiences all over the world because of his truly commanding voice. Originally from Lubbock, Texas, Larry's work has taken him to 49 of the 50 states and to as far away as South Korea and South America. His bio says his facility with language has made it possible for him to carry his message in song to more than 30 countries in all. His passion for ministry abroad has led to his being described as gospel music's ambassador to the world. Larry has attracted a legion of admirers who appreciate his clear, powerful tenor voice and utter sincerity. In 2003, he won a Grammy for Best Southern Gospel Recording. His arrival to the world stage was as a featured soloist on the Gaither Music Homecoming series, which consistently ranks in the top of Billboard magazine's music charts, and which we heard a song from in Seth's episode. That was his song, Story Number 3. And you might have heard Larry sing the national anthem for the Boston Red Sox or the Tampa Bay Lightning. Besides singing, Larry's been a pilot, a pastor, and in his younger days, a fixer of cars. He's lived in southwest Florida and raised his family here with his wife, Cheryl, for about 40 years. He has five sons, all of which I know, and one daughter, along with a plethora of grandchildren. He's been on our calendar since November, and we're pleased to have him here with us today. So now let's talk song stories. Hey there, Larry Ford. How are you? Hey, Mike Canary. It is a joy to be here. It is a joy to have you. Uh, so we're going to start in a non-traditional place. What is your favorite kind of microphone to sing into? My favorite kind of microphone? Yes. Yeah, that's a new one. You, you really pulled that Seth, one out of the Seth hat. Seth mentioned during his episode that you like to talk about music equipment. So I figured well, we could start there. Music equipment. <laughs> well, right now I'm looking into a, 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 a I think this is an ATM microphone here, if I'm not mistaken. I don't it, want to do any undue advertising. It is. <laughs> Very, yeah, it's, it's an Audio-Technica. Yeah. An ATM, what, a 4010, something like uh, that? 20th, uh, uh, 8441. No, no, that's, Eight. the, that's the, no, no, no. no. It's hey, a there's a lot of numbers out there, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are. But this anyway, not even when you're talking uh, favorite kind of singing. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Okay, uh, that would probably be the onstage microphones that I would get from different people and places and whatever. And a Shure SM87, uh, 57, oh, I think it's a 57. I can't remember the number. You got 57, believe, right? Yeah, 57. Yeah, 57. The... That's the favorite because it doesn't have too much what we call proximity effect. Huh. And I can get – well, it does if you're in the certain groups of the 57. But other than that, what I like to sing in in the studio is a good old Neumann. Hmm. Yeah, whichever one would be appropriate to use. A large diaphragm microphone, okay, hmm. which gives you good full sound of everybody, you know, everything you're doing. But mostly, if you look at people who are doing recordings and they're doing it for the sake of a, a camera playing on them, they're on, on a big old... Neumann U87 or U67 or whatever it is, I do happen to have those numbers remembered in my mind. Hmm. Yes, thank you. Do you have uh, access to a studio? Do you have a studio? Or, you know, when you go to a studio these days, where would it be? Strange, Mike. Uh, I don't have a full-blown studio. I have a small one in my office okay. where I sit down at a mic much like the one I'm talking into now. And it goes through a small mixer into the computer, and I can use Pro Tools or whatever I use to to do the recording. Well, all right. Very simplistic, very uh, off the cuff. If I am asked to do something, uh, any voiceovers or whatever, yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's a lot easier these days with computers not having all the tape spools and whatnot, oh, which I'm mercy, sure you yes. have plenty of time to deal with in your life. Mike, I love electronics and have since I was a kid because my father was into electronics. Hmm. And that's how I followed in that footsteps kind of thing. Hmm. So what was the musical background of your childhood when you were a kid? What was happening around you? The musical background, Mike, was mostly church music, uh, which is not unlike a lot of other singers in the business out there. And not just my business, but even in the pop 
uh, R&B, whatever. You know, I look back and I can I can think, although I don't want to name anybody right now, of, of singers that started their career singing in church, mm-hmm. just like I did. That's right? a big that's a big pattern here on our show, actually. A lot of people that do sing, whether or not they do it professionally, when we ask them, where did you first start singing? They say, oh, yeah, church choir, you know. Exactly. Like I wasn't so much in the choir, even though I got into choral music when I was in college. Uh, I, I more or less was singing solos as a kid, and then later on, same thing. Uh, gaining a rapport with an audience has always been part of my mentality, and I've enjoyed it. Hmm. I really have. When you were a kid, were you being modeled singing or music playing? Because I know, like, your kids play music. So were you being modeled music from your parents or grandparents or uncles or something like that? You know, I did have heroes, and most of my heroes were those who were living, um, not necessarily the ones who passed on, but that's the, the older I get, the more those people are passing on. Mm-hmm. But I have enjoyed very much a lot of a lot of different singers uh, through the years, and I think I probably, as a kid, began to model my vocal performance after certain of those. I'll have to tell you, most people would name people like Pavarotti or whatever, but I even go back further than that. There was a guy that I just dearly loved and had a, I have, still have his recordings. His name was Richard Tucker. Hmm. And when I look back at these people, I realize that many of them were not just artists, but they were, um, I don't know how to put this in a, in, a, in a way that's easily understood, but they were mechanics. Okay. They really uh-huh. did know how to produce the sound right. and get it out there. And Richard Tucker, even though that was not his real name, his real name was Reuben Ticker. Okay. <laughs> he was a Jewish guy out of New York. And he sang with the Metropolitan and various other people. But Tucker was – Tucker, years ago, was my hero because he was um, – I think I heard this explained one way about a singer friend of mine. He was durable. Okay. He could just keep singing and keep singing no matter how much, and he just didn't have anything that tore him down or broke him down. Range, length of singing, whatever. So Tucker was the guy. But when I come back into other realms of music um, – I have to tell you, there were some that were different uh, that you probably have never heard of, Mm -hmm. but their music was my model. Hmm. James Blackwood was one of those people, Mm -hmm. and he was with the Blackwood Brothers Quartet, Mm -hmm. and James was an anomaly in gospel music. He, I mean, I say that carefully because he was such a hero of mine, but um, James sang differently than most gospel singers because of his uh, upbringing, his sound, and his brothers. They were great singers as well. Uh, were you uh, trained to sing at some point? Did Or I guess my real question is, is, do you remember when you reached a level of you know, ability where you thought, I can really do this, maybe this is what I'm going to do? Do you remember okay, like a this was not a transition? conscious thing on my part. Okay. You didn't like dream I of had, being a gospel singer. I had a mom who was constantly listening and giving her input. And I wish she was here to hear me say this, but she was the impetus, she was the inspiration, and she was the director of that music before I started any kind any kind of professional association with voice instructors and teachers. And she introduced me to my first voice teacher, huh. who was an Italian lady. Um, How old would you have been? I was okay. I will. I won't get to years. I'll get to school grade. Okay. Sure. I was in the seventh grade. Okay. 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 And then from there, I just continued to receive vocal instruction. Uh, from there up through college and beyond, I don't think you ever stop learning. Hmm. Um, do you remember music moving you as a kid at, at some point in the way that you know, obviously, how music can move you? Like an early instance of that where music you realized was more powerful than just somebody singing. Uh, Mike, I think I'd have to answer that this way. I never really got into the music where it moved me until later on in my growing up years. Uh, there were very few songs that affected me to the point of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're provoking some question thought in my brain here mm, that I'm, I've really here never for. dealt with before. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he, he, who was I saying, thinking of? I'm, I'm going to go back up there, back up just a minute. I, I really listened to other people saying their emotions struck me rather than my own. And as I heard them sing, uh, if I really understood the song, the words, uh, the dynamics of it, it moved me. But nothing I did until later years. Hmm. And my kids, my daughter, my wife can tell you that in some aspects, the music that I sing um, will affect me to such an extent that I have to stop and just let the emotions take over. uh, And I have to... Uh, when I say let the emotions take over, sometimes it's tears, sometimes it's whatever. I don't yeah. think it's ever been stark laughter, but I really have enjoyed the music to the point where it had um, a connection with me. And when it does that, I can probably more easily communicate the song to someone else because I understand it mentally and spiritually uh-huh. and vocally. I want to get further into that a little bit, but let's get to your first song now. We've got the the Oklahoma song. Why did you bring it to us today? <laughs> Why did I bring that? That was the first song I ever, I ever sang mark. publicly oh. in high school. I had a choral director back then who really encouraged me, and he got me involved in a lot of different things. But the first musical I was ever involved in was Oklahoma, and I played Curly. And uh, came out on stage singing, Oklahoma, where the wind comes with You know, and I, that was the song that I really got into. This is a strange tale, but the lady who played <laughs> um, Lori, uh, she was one of my school friends. And she later on went to the same college that I went to and later on married a guy out there and in later years, moved right here to Lee County. Oh, wow. Fort Myers. She lives here locally. I know she probably will never hear this podcast unless I call her. (laughs) But Linda was uh, just a a real good friend. I appreciated her and her musical input. And she was in that musical called Oklahoma. Hmm. 1964. Was there a big theater program at the school? Was this something that you were already a part of? No. Oh, Unusual to say there was not the, – the high school choral director that I had uh, was the one who produced, encouraged, and involved other people in the musical production. His name was John Wykowski. <laughs> we had to learn to spell his name before we graduated his <laughs> class. But anyway, um, I – just really enjoyed working with them on that musical. It was the first one our school ever did. And then in later years, we did others. Hmm. Um, my brother came along nine years after me, and with another choral director, uh, sang in high school productions. And like myself, he ended up in the theater. I say theater. I didn't end up in the theater. I ended up in the churches more than anything else. But my brother lives in Naples, and he ended up in the opera. Hmm. And he has become quite well known in that realm. Hmm. Well, you want to listen to Oklahoma together? Why not? Were you nervous, by the way, first time getting up on stage? Did you have stage fright at all? Uh, yes. But I will have to tell you, after you get out there and you're involved in trying to remember the song and engage it with another person and put the, put the song out to the audience, you lose that fright. Hmm. Well, all right, let's listen to it. Imagining you on stage is what, a 16, 17-year-old? Oh, that's going to be a stretch. Uh, this is the signature song from Rogers, Rogers and Hammerstein's musical, Oklahoma. So what's going through your head when you're listening to that here these days? Joel McRae. Who's that? That's the singer who was singing Oh, that. is it? I oh, don't yeah. Come on. <laughs> you're much younger than I am, so you wouldn't ha- hang into those things. But uh, anyway, Joel, and you know what else i amazed at was their ability to produce a song um, on the stage and really do it top-notch. Yeah. And that was, I'm sure, an arrangement, because as I listen to the song, I'm hearing them 
adjust the choir and so forth to fit into the vocal performance with soloists. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. They didn't take the soloist to fit the choir. They took the choir to fit the soloist. Mm. And I, I enjoy hearing it. It's, it's remarkable to me. And in later years, working in church music, eh, we don't quite do that much. But I, I tell you what, I have been enjoying that here locally where we attend church. And they have done um, produced performances with music that involve choral and solo and so forth, which I've been a part of, and I love it. I truly love it. It's a great experience to bring that world into my church world. Yeah, yeah. Um, how deep was your voice when you were a kid? Were you able to, hit, to go deep like it, like it needs to be done when you were playing him on that stage back then? No. No? So how, how well do you think it sounded, or how good do you think it sounded when you were performing it? Pretty good? Um, low. Uh, <laughs> I, I never have sung low. I always have sung in an upper register, which is the terminology we use. Right, right. And I, uh, if I do, if I start to sing in a lower I guess low register. Was maybe, I, mean, I guess maybe I meant big. Big but, sound? Yeah, or just, mm, you know, yeah. it's boisterous. <laughs> boisterous. <laughs> okay, on on stage, my brother was being in interviewed one time by uh, someone, I don't remember who it was, but they asked him about his performance on stage and uh, how much he enjoyed it and how he was involved in it. And I think one of the responses, I can't remember the question exactly, but his response was, if you can't get it to the back row with your own voice and not necessarily electronic uh, intervention there mm-hmm. to, to amplify it. He said, if you can't get it to the back row, forget it, lady. Uh, this is something that's built into us that we sing and we project to the back row. Hmm. It's taxing, okay? My brother went through the, the, the taxingness of having chord problems in his vocal right. box. I never had that problem. I may have it now at my, according to my age, but uh, he, he had an ability and which a lot of public singers, uh, actor singers do. When I say actor singers, people who have really gotten into the theater stage production. So yes, I have done that. But as far as pitch is concerned, it changes when your voice changes. When hormones begin to affect your life, you know, um, you're going to sing low or high. And in later years, I went from high to low and back to high again, hmm. which was kind of strange. Hmm. When did you start singing in churches, you know, like I see when I go on YouTube where it's, you know, you with a microphone and there's maybe a, a choir or a chorus behind you. And I mean, when did that become part of what you did? Very young. Um, I probably was I, – I do remember my mom tells me that I was uh, six years – five or six years old when I stood behind the pulpit into a microphone and sang the first solo. Okay. Then from there, singing in, in church, I don't think there was ever any choral involvement until much later on, mostly just solo so I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed this I enjoy sing I tell you what one of the things you enjoy doing is producing a three part harmony. Mm-hmm. When I say three part, even though you see four guys up there singing, you, somebody's going to double the triad. Okay, okay. <laughs> when you get up to sing, uh-huh. so um, very seldom is there a four part stack of the chord where you would sing uh, with a with a fourth part separate from that triad, and I I I enjoy that. I enjoy playing with it. I enjoy singing and picking out the harmony, even though a lot of times it's written for you on the page uh, in front of you. You still enjoy doing vocal harmony, Hmm. and I enjoy doing it with my parents, uh, with other soul singers and whatever. I think that's one of the reasons I eventually ended up singing with James Blackwood. Mm -hmm. As an older guy, he was up in his late 70s, early 80s, still singing and I just love to sing with him. Hmm. How much performing do you do these days? Less than I ever have before. And I do that because I, you know, there are several reasons for it. Love to stay home with my kids and grandkids. Uh, other than that, I really have 
cut back an awful lot, uh, maybe out of somewhat of a necessity, but the voice is holding out, so I ain't going to tax it. Right. When was the last time you went and did a show somewhere? Last week. (laughs) I was up in um, Ocala and did one with a guy up there that uh, I've learned to love and appreciate through the years. He's a songwriter, singer, pastor. Uh, His name is Norman Lee Schaefer. Uh, Norman Lee is an, an interesting fellow, and I've asked him repeatedly after going and singing at his church to sing with me, and he has. He, he writes some wonderful music. Do you go and watch other people perform music, whether in church or in you know the you know a blues bar or something like that? Oh, you would ask that question. No, mm-hmm. not the blues bar, but I tell you what, my wife and kids bought me a ticket to uh, a concert not long ago out here at Hertz Arena. And I went to listen to a guy sing for an hour and 15 minutes nonstop. Who was this? Playing his guitar and singing through that woolly face of his. His name was Willie Nelson. I was there with my 14-year-old daughter. (laughs) I'm telling you, that old boy, he's not just a a good entertainer, but he's a songwriter. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. His lyrics, uh, his... his, uh, his melody structures, everything. It's just remarkable, especially at that age. I'm yeah. saying, Lord, let me do that at, at his age, you know, when I get up there. I uh, I took my 14-year-old daughter to that concert because I'd never seen him, and I wanted to see him, and I wanted her to see him. How did she respond to it? She, you know, she's a musical theater kid, so she's got a wide oh. range of uh, acceptance in terms of, you know, she knew if Dad thought it was important, she'd go. And she had a Willie Nelson T-shirt on that my dad had given her, and so it was pretty cute. <laughs> what a trip. Yeah. Yes, I do go to here every now and then, and I do it for two reasons. I enjoy their performances. And I enjoy their music, a lot of them. Some of the songs I can do without. But uh, Willie's Willie's lyrical prowess is writing songs about circumstances and people. Yeah, yeah. And he's really great at it. He's tremendous. I think he's probably uh, a hero to a lot of guys my age and younger. He just it really is. And I could name off several more. I, you, you said, you know, do you go? And I ha- happens to be the one that I thought of most recently. And I really love to go for another reason. And this is not primary, but somewhere down the line. I go to go to school. Hmm. I want to watch these guys on stage. I want to see how they perform, what they perform, how long they perform, the whole gamut yeah, of the setup with the stage tech and everything. everything. Yeah, Not yeah. just the tech. Right. Because Willie's tech was really um I won't say simplistic. It was it was not some of the best I've ever heard, but it was good. Yeah. It did for him what he needed it to do. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it. Mm. Enjoyed the whole thing. When he did um um Always on My Mind I was like, that's worth the ticket right there. You got it. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. In Seth's episode, he told a story about driving with you in a green Datsun, and you stopped in Arcadia at a Kmart and bought a cassette of Michael Jackson's Thriller. Is that all real? (laughs) Yes, it is. And it wasn't just Michael Jackson. I also uh, bought some other cassettes and CDs to go in there, but they weren't. Well, they were musical, but their music was more than their music was uh, uh, off the wall. <laughs> it was something very unusual for our our family, but mm-hmm. they enjoyed comedy. Mm-hmm. It was parody music. Okay, and when I say parody music, you take it all the way back to Lonzo and Oscar, and then you have to go up through the years through the duet duos that would do. Um, this kind of parody music, yeah, yeah. you know, and I we we pulled aside and and bought some. I well, I don't know, I think they were CDs, but they could have been cassettes. And we Seth bought, said it was it's Weird Al. No, it's not Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it was somebody else. But I, I don't. I hesitate to even mention it. But uh, I just really enjoy things like that. And if we go in and see music being marketed somewhere, I look for. <laughs> I look for the different kind of music, uh-huh. and um, if it was Willie, I'd have bought that, I guess. But right. whatever. 
Well, uh, well, Seth says that was the first time he'd heard basically secular music that he could remember as a kid. Really? Yeah. Isn't that what you said, Seth? I listened to it today, so I know it's what you said. He's nodding his head. Um, so uh, they're all your kids are all musicians, right? To some degree, one way or another. Uh, all but one. All but one. All but one. I'm not going to say who. Okay. Okay. But anyway, Seth think... is, of course, and my daughter, and my two twin boys, and my youngest son, Luke. Uh, they're all musicians. They either play or sing or whatever, and it's 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 a delight to work with them. Yeah. Truly, I wish I could with Seth, but he's he's into his own world of music with his wife and daughter, mm-hmm. and I'm <laughs> I'm saying nope, can't do that. It's kind of, it's kind of parody music in a weird way. Like. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. Um, okay, I've got to ask because I've known him since I was younger. So, was the the names of your sons a plan that you launched into from the beginning, or did you wind up with your sons being named Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? Well, they weren't as they came out named in that order. Okay, but yeah, uh, it was a plan to use biblical names. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the first was John. And the next one was Seth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next was Amanda, my daughter. Which I didn't even know you had. Seth, I didn't even know you had a sister. Like, that completely missed me. Oh, boy. Wait till <laughs> I get that one home. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then there was Matthew and Mark. And then the last one was Luke. And they're a delight. Yeah. Every, one, every one of them, seriously. I, as I was pulling away from the house to come here, I live in North Fort Myers. As I was pulling out... Um, one of my twins came driving up with his wife and little girl, and she knows how – she, as well as Seth's daughter, Amelia, know how to steal their f- grandfather's heart and keep it. Hmm. <laughs> um, okay, it is time for us to move on to your second song. It's the Maria from West Side Story. Do you want to talk about it first? Do you want to listen to it? How do you want to handle it? It's the one that I remember the least. Um. Maria, how wonderful a sound can be. I, I've got some of the lyrics coming into my head. Now, when the song plays, it will immediately rejuvenate my memory. <laughs> Isn't that interesting think, how yes, that happens? Well, it, uh, it's, it's phenomenal how those things are built into our psyche, you know. As a singer, have you I'm, – I'm assuming the answer is going to be yes, but, you know, you've been in a position where you're singing something in front of people where you don't consciously know what the words are. 10 seconds from now, but you know when you get there, you're going to get there in a performance. How did you come up with that question? Because I, I play some music myself, and I'm sort of not on a professional level, but, you know, on an individual level, I've experienced that. Buddy, I have gone out there. Mike, I've gone out there and started to do a song. I have the, the, the song list in front of me, or at least, you know, somewhere close. And the tracks would start or the music would start, and I wouldn't have a clue until it got to the almost the, the downbeat of the first lyrical input, and it would come to me, snap, just like that. Huh. And I would think of the lyrics. Huh. It's really crazy. Yeah. But that is exactly how it happens sometimes. Not always, because most of the time, the lyrics are there regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the, old, the older the brain gets, the more it becomes an incident. Right. Um, do you remember, did you ever sing Maria? Did you ever, were you ever in West Side Story? Or is this something that was just part of your life at some point? No, I sang it. Yeah? Where was that? Was in that, my high school. Was that also high school? Yes, you guys were ambitious for a school that didn't do theater. Oh, uh, tell me about it. <laughs> we got into things that were... Um, we're very uh, well. It weren't reckless because our producer, who was the the choir choir director, had all this in his mind, and he knew how to get out of us what he wanted. And John was uh, John's still alive today yet, and lives out in I think Grand Prairie, Texas, mm. and he has had quite an influence on my life. Besides all the others, including my voice instructor, Mrs. Lucky. Um, her name before she was Lucky was. Palazzo. She was Italian. So, oh. Yeah. I got a lot of these songs and lyrics and language things from her. Huh. Well, shall we listen to Maria? Go for it. All right. Uh, this is uh, uh, Larry's song number two, Maria, from the musical West Side Story, which premiered as a play in 1957, then a film in 1961. This is the version from the film soundtrack. Maria. 
Ray Stevens. It was Ray Stevens. Is that who I just heard through the door? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's Canadian. He's Canadian, isn't talking he? Talking to me while I'm coming in out of the. Yes, 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 cold. you are. Um, isn't Ray Stevens a Canadian? Is that do I remember that correctly? Isn't Ray Stevens Canadian? Um, is he? He's actually Southern. He's American. Oh, okay. And he did like a Ned Nostril in the South Seas Paradise, Butcher Blues, and Ice Cheap Ed Twice Surprise Band. That was when you bought that record. I forgot that. Yeah, it was Ray Stevens. It was Ray Stevens, not Weird Al. That's right. And it was, yeah, that was uh, Iggy, 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 Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And the first self-righteous. Hey, if you give me time, I can pull the lyrics. And you know which one of my sons will pull these lyrics up better than anybody else? No, Mark. Mark, they both can do it. Well, maybe Matt, but Mark... I can say, what's the lyric to so-and-so, and he'll stop just a second and then just spit it out. He can cleanly. Matt's more of like a file cabinet. Anyway, I'll let you go back. <laughs> file okay. Um, so did you, have you done any, um, did, did you do any musical theater beyond high school as a you know, grown-up, as a oh, college yes. student? And college how, student, so, I did. How long did that yes. last? Just until college or Actually, through college? Actually, we did, in college, we did operas. That were very involved. In fact, I'm, I'm searching my memory for what we did back then. It didn't make that much of an indelible impression in my life and psyche. But it um, it was uh, it was a lot of solo and choral music that was a different pressure, a different a different input. And I I remember it, but. Not as much as the high school years. Hmm. Um, Seth talked in his episode about uh, you being on uh, the Bill Gaither Homecoming series, yes, sir. and then um, that kind of being what you know puts you up into a higher echelon of awareness amongst the world of gospel singing. And then the fan mail started showing up at the house, and that's when things kind of changed. Is that <laughs> is that uh, ha- is that how you remember it? And well, you know, can you reflect on that time and what it meant for you know you? This is back in the late 1990s, um, early 80s, when I went to uh, Nashville with James Blackwood, mm-hmm. and we were there for a program, and he was invited to come and <clears throat> be a part of a, a, a recording, which was to capture some of the older guys who were up in years and not going to be with us much longer, and they went in and sang and they were sitting around the piano and singing old gospel songs, and that's where I first came in. I really was an uninvited guest. I'm saying this right out in front. I came in because I was there taking care of my buddy James Blackwood, who had just had a stroke hmm. and was not on, steady on his feet, but, boy, still singing. And I, um, I was there with him and a lot of other people, and Bill... Gaither, of course, was predominant in leading it, and he started playing a certain song. And one of my associates years ago, a lady by the name of Ann, said, Hey, Bill, get Larry to sing that song. And Bill looked up, and I'll never forget these words. He looked up at her and said, Larry who? He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And I felt really a bit out of place in there during that that episode because they pushed me up to a microphone to sing the song, and I really didn't want to, Hmm. honestly. Um, I don't know why, but I just didn't want to. And I uh, stepped up to the mic, tried to avoid a microphone. It was that stepped up to the piano, I should say. Tried to avoid a microphone and started singing this song that Bill was playing on the piano. And he was looking up at me as if to say, would you like another key? Because it was kind of high. And the one chord, which was to take me up to the top end of the song, uh, the the root, the chord was uh, a B flat. And um, I'm thinking, I, I couldn't even think a B flat that early in the morning. So he kept playing and I sang and I sang the B flat that morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. Tenors, I promise you, don't even spit before noon. And I sang it and got out of there and thought, oh my God, destroy that tape. That's horrible. And he cornered me a little bit later and said, who are you? And I told him, introduced myself. And when I got home, I had phone calls and um, communications from his office 
can you come back? Can you work with? And I got lots of job offers and associations from then. And that was 25, 26 years ago and still going. We've slowed down a lot, needless to say, but that was my associative start with Bill Gaither. Mm. I've seen the video of that. It's on the Internet. You're, oh, I'm sure it is. You're on the Internet. I have to now go back and watch it through that story, knowing your reluctance and or, you know what I mean? Like You'll see it. And, in fact, I, I challenge you to see this one little part where uh, toward the end of the song, I look up and I look to my right and I'm looking at a fellow by the name of George Yonts, who is a bass singer. And he's looking over at me and he's got his index finger up in the air pointing up like that. And I knew what he meant. He wanted me to go for a higher note on the ending. And I looked over. And if you'll remember, if you see that video, you'll see me looking over there and I eventually go, and shake my head, no. <laughs> it, it ain't going to happen this morning, George. So maybe later on in the day it might have, but not then. You know, what we tap into for this show is how music, songs, performances can become connected to people's lives and their memories. Have you ever given thought to how your performances might be that for people? Yes. Is that something that – Oh, yes. Wh- how does that feel? Oh, that's that's when they call you. The, uh, that's when they talk to you. That's when they come up to you in in uh, nondescript, unusual places. I could name off a lot of them. One of them that I remember was not long after we had put out the first few videos, and they were overseas. And my wife and I were in Scotland, and I was getting off of a fishing ship, um, climbing up. And here this guy comes by in his raincoat, and he looks at me. And, you know, it's it's from there that you understand how much these videos play such a dynamic part in people's memory and psyche and what are, what you just said. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not verbing the, the same things you said, but I know that he walked up and he said, Hanoi. And I said, oh, you do? Oh, yeah, you're Larry Ford. And in a very Scottish brogue, he says, I have to tell you. My wife died three months ago, and I I watched, and she watched your song, and he began to tell me about it and the song that I was singing and so forth. And I smiled at him. I almost wanted to cry because that's how you become connected with these people, as you've said before. Do you ever make connections with people in the musical dynamics of what you sing? Yes, you do. Mm. And in places that you never dreamed possible. What's the most... um off-the-beaten-path place you've sung in your travels around the world? Anything like a, a really small church somewhere in an area that was an interesting part of the planet or just something like that? I was just thinking night before last about an incident that happened to us in Scotland again. And we were there singing in a church. And the place was almost full, very decidedly... Um, Middle age buildings. Uh, what's when I say middle age? Old buildings that were uh, of of the church design, and like buildings uh, from the Middle Ages. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably so. Yeah, yeah. but I, I didn't want to get into that. But anyway, the um, the the thing was happening. I was singing a song, and people's responses to the song and the music. My wife was sitting, and she was across. And sideways from one of the gentlemen who was sitting, and she said the guy never moved through the entire episode of the song until she looked over and she saw tears running down his cheeks. And you know what that indicates. Uh, it it is something's touched him, and he did cry. And I'm saying, you know, did I do that? <laughs> Sorry. No, that, that's, the, that's the thing that touches people's lives, and we never know about it unless they call you, write you communicate with you some way. That's it. Have you spent much time in recording studios? At least some, I suppose. But, um, like, but like making, oh, making albums with audio engineers. How am I going to answer that? I was going to say, and the, the, the smart answer that I thought I'd give you was only when necessary. We've been trying to get back in the studio to do some very unusual music recently. And if I'm in there with a good producer, a good engineer – and actually, those two people, uh, I really can get a lot done and enjoy it. 
Otherwise, I don't. Hmm. What about Broadway musicals? What's the most recent one you've seen? Not necessarily on Broadway, just, you know, maybe at Barber B. Man or maybe on Broadway. I don't know if you travel. Hmm. Haven't attended a lot of those. Hmm. I've been to Barber B. Man. In fact, my most recent um, attendance at Barber B. Man was to hear the Oak Ridge Boys. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they're all good friends from years ago, and their their road manager uh, Derek is just a, a dear friend, and I love him. He has introduced me to some of their music that's not hit the the production of uh, mass market yet. And I, I I ask a lot of questions of these people about where did this song come from, Elvira, and all that kind of stuff. You know, where does where Oom Papa Oom Papa Mama come from? Where did that lyric come from? I'm always wanting to know. Larry Gatlin's a good friend of mine, and I want to know where a lot of these songs came from, where the lyrics really generated. And I, when I go to these performances and can deal with. Uh, or talk to the singers if they're singing something new. I want to know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the gospel music that I sing, I want to know where it came from and how it was generated. Um, Jaron Davis, who is a writer par excellent, I ask him or Larry or who, you know, Larry Gatlin, where did these come from? Because sometimes knowing this helps you to communicate the song if you decide to use it. Yeah, I can imagine that. Really, I, I, the Oak Ridge Boys <laughs> recorded a new song called – let's see if I can remember the, t- the lyric of this one because the lyric is the title, uh, Pray to Jesus and Play the Lotto. <laughs> now, you hadn't heard it yet. I know. It's brand new. But it's funny. It's, it's true, but it's funny. People will go out and pray and go to church, then go buy a lotto ticket and say, now, this has got to work. <laughs> yeah. So you know the Oak Ridge Boys. Yes, I do. Like – like. So you were were you able to go say hi to them while they were in town? Oh yes. Okay. Well, well how long have you known them? <laughs> um, Dwayne and um, Ed and all those people—they're just really good friends. Just people you know from your life in music. Yeah. Okay. And some of them I've known for over forty years. Uh, they were in the the gospel music, uh, strict gospel music industry when I was back there. And uh, I got to know him then. Hmm. Have you written any music in your career or have you sung people's oh, man, music? You would ask that. I have written one song. One song. And I thought, eh. Well, I submitted it to the young lady who has produced a lot of my projects, and she's a songwriter. She's very, very good. Her name is Kenna Turner West. She is Dottie West's daughter in law. Of course, Dottie's dead. and the kids are all living in Nashville, and she married Carrie. Well, I gave her the song. I said, hey, take this, rework it, see what you can do with it. So she did, and somebody bought it. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, I get a little check, a very little. Do you know <laughs> Every who now it was? Then, Have you heard whatever they Lord, turned no, it into? No, I can't tell you. Now you're going to ask me an embarrassing question. <laughs> I can't tell you who did that song. It wasn't anybody well-known, I'm sure of that. Did you just do the lyrics, or did you do the music for it, too? I did the lyrics. I did not do the music. I had to turn it over for that. Did you have a... a, Could you hear in your head where you thought it should go, or was that not how it worked? I thought I did. Was it more of just like a poem? I thought I did. It was the poetry, the lyrical poetry that I did, and um, I, I, I didn't get into the music. I submitted it to some people who write music, and they just messed it up. <laughs> Do you know what? It was, did it have a title? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's it called? Oh, Mercy, you're going to ask me because I'm going to Do you remember to... any of the lyrics? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I can pull it out of my head if I think for here just a minute. Only the living regret the leaving. Hmm. Now, if you think about it a little bit, mm-hmm. if you have a concept of what we believe in Christianity about life and afterlife, <clears throat> you know that those who pass on, um, they don't want to come back. You know, you've heard the stories about it, and that's part of the lyrics. Uh, I have questions yet unanswered about a place I've never seen. But I hear the folks who go there want to stay and never leave. Jesus said we could go with him. He'd prepare for us a place. But if you struggled with these questions, try to think of it this way. Only the living regret. And this is the refrain. Only the living regret the leaving. Only the glorified 
see him as he is. And only the redeemed know his grace completely. And only by leaving can we be with him or live with him. She changed a lot of words but kept the same basic of the song. And uh, that's how I wrote my first song. And no, no more since. Huh. All right. Um, it's time for your third song. What we, am I doing? We, you are doing uh, Caro Mio. Caro Mio Ben. Thank you for making it sound right. <laughs> why, why is it on your Caro list? Caro Mio Ben, credimi al men, senza di te la... You don't ever forget it. Languish il cor, il tu fedel, sospironior, cesa crudel, tonto. I'm singing this very quietly in here. Because this microphone has no compressor. Well, you can back up and go loud if you want. <laughs> Not a way. Not a way. But I got to hear, you found a guy to sing it that I never knew did it. Yeah. Luciano Pavarotti. Mm-hmm. And uh, that guy, he amazed me. I'd watch him sing and just, he just mesmerized me. Did you ever get to see him perform live? No. No? Oh, I wish I had. Hmm. But you know what we have today in recordings and YouTube and all that tells a lot. And I get I watch those. I watched his last few public performances and I'm saying, my God, he's working hard for that. And he did, but he did it anyway. And he sang it. Nessun hmm. Dorma uh, 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 was the big one for him uh, that is more popular today. But love it. Sing it. Well, shall we play it? Yeah. Okay, say it again, the name. Uh, you mean Carro Mio Ben? Yes, by... Say his L- name. Luciano Pavarotti. Yes. So how was that? You know, it was absolutely wonderful. I listened to it... Uh... Now, don't, don't take this the wrong way. Critically, because... As a kid growing up singing music like that, we were strictly warned to keep it according to the page, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, he broke out of that. He 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 sang you an arrangement of it and his own input into the song, which it gives the song character. Mm-hmm. And he is an amazing singer. I wish you know. I wish a lot of times if I find. Uh, Three different singers or four singing the same song. I'll go back and play it just to see what they've done with the song. And it's fun. They will really get involved in the music. And uh, I listen. another thing I listen to with him is his, his dialect. He is decidedly of a specific dialect in, in Italy. And his uh, choice of words, Caro mio bene. Instead of carro mio bene, and mm. you know, you know, we've got those things here in the United States sure. for our English, but he did it, and I, I just amaze at it. He was, he was, he was, he was the best. Can you explore the line between opera singing and gospel singing? Like you say, you've got a brother that does opera, but then you can kind of sing in a way that sounds to me like opera. But then when I watch the videos of you singing as a gospel singer, you're very operatic. In what you're doing, does that make sense? Uh, it does, and I think it, to simplistically explain that, when you're singing music that is demanding and vocally demanding, you tend to lean on your training. You tend to lean on those things that you've learned as a, as a kid to produce that kind of sound and music. So I would go back and do the songs. Uh, well, I, I, I don't like to think of it operatically, but I do it uh, classically. Okay, there's the word. Okay, okay. Hmm. Um, singing the national anthem. Mm-hmm. How many times have you done that? Not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. In fact, when I was asked to do it, I'm, I'm too accustomed to doing things with a track or with music behind me and didn't have that. So I had to borrow a track to do it, and then we eventually went in the studios and cut a track mm-hmm. to do Star Spangled Banner. And I, I go back through the years, and you know, probably up until recently, nobody has really toyed with the song. Pardon, pardon my choice of words. That nobody has really tried to 
improvise much on uh, that particular song. Uh, recently, we've gotten a lot of um, ethnic variations of the song and various other variations, but I love it traditional. And in fact, when I've done it and did it in a traditional fashion, people have said to me, I really like that better than the modern-day whatever. And I'm not putting down the modern-day approach to it. It's just that everybody is accustomed to hearing it, you know, yeah, one particular way. Um, I have the file of you singing it from your website. You mind oh, if we listen Lord. to it right now? Or oh. is that going to be – you could turn your headphones off. <laughs> <laughs> Probably will, yes. <laughs> okay, well, I, we're going to do this thing. You ready, Tori? Okay, this is, uh, this is Larry Ford uh, doing the Star Spangled Banner, right? And we turn the plate current off the transmitter to go off air. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't take your headphones off. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. But that's the, you know that's where we that's where we close the broadcast day out. You know, that, <laughs> yeah, turn yeah, the transmitter yeah, exactly. off. Exactly. The overnighters you had to shut them off at a certain time. Or you something got like it. That. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're kind of heading up toward the end of this. I have a couple quick questions to ask. Um, uh, do you have a favorite band? Do you listen to like non? gospel music? Do you listen to contemporary music? Do you listen to like Willie Nelson? You know, things like that. (laughs) Willie has a very simple band. You know, he's got a, his guitar he plays, and I think he plays on all his sessions. And his son now playing with him on the road, and he has a drummer and whatever. But these guys, yeah, that's, that's, that's road musicians. Um, I enjoy hearing a lot of different Bands. I think I enjoy hearing the ones that um, are into a specific genre of music, and I, uh, I think the Christmas bands that we hear. Mm. Uh, there's one that's out of Europe that I really like, but other than that, no. Okay. Um, um, do you have a fourth song that you might have picked? Oh wow. That's hard to say. No, there's not. I nothing that leaps to mind. Nothing that nothing that prompts right quickly in my brain. If you only could choose one album to listen to for all of the rest of eternity, which album would it be? Whose music? Anybody's. 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 Music? Anybody's music. Oh mercy! Just something that would not become boring to you the longest. <laughs> Sandy Patty. Woo! <laughs> What's that? Sandy Patty. You know that name? Uh-uh. You don't know that name? I don't you know. don't know that name. Boy, everybody in Christian music knows that name. And not only that, but a little girl down here in um, in Naples who lives there now, a little girl. She's a young lady. Her name is Evie Tornquist Carlson. And Evie is quite a singer. And some of the productions she did years ago, who she worked with and the music she did was just wonderful. And I have to tell you, 
I'm probably more uh, the the favorites of mine are female rather than male. Because I listen to a male voice and I pick it apart. Mm. And I, I don't want to do that with a female because they do sing from a well, not a different area, but they just intrigue me. Yeah. Um, what would the 16-year-old or 17-year-old who was on stage doing Oklahoma think of uh, Larry Ford sitting here today in the arc that's gone between the two? Communicate the song to more than just the other actors on stage. Even though it is so important to let the audience think that you're communicating to that one person. If you do it too well, you'll blow their eardrums out. <laughs> right, <laughs> Or right. you'll at least affect their hearing um, if you sing loud enough. But today, a lot of things are done for us. Sound systems amplify. Uh, stages are acoustically produced so that we can be heard beyond that. And the music that we do is sometimes not near as demanding, but going back to do Oklahoma, West Side Story, uh, things like that, and I could name more because I did more, but um, doing those kinds of songs is demanding. Get into it and sing it not just to the other character. Yeah. Sing it to the audience on the back row. Would uh, would that 16-year-old have been surprised of how in- ingrained music has been throughout your entire life? Would you have seen that coming at that point? Ask that question again, please. Would, the, would, would your 16-year-old self be surprised that you've spent your entire life singing in front of people? Yes. Would be surprised? Yes. Didn't see it coming? Didn't. Wasn't striving for it? No. Hmm. Well, all right. I, uh, striving for something, I, I got to a point where I did in later years, in my mid-20s, um, but not my early teens. Hmm. Uh, we are out of time. The last question that we always ask people is, Man. there are any songs that you'll always avoid listening to if they pop up? <laughs> Because of oh, whether no. they remind you of something no, or they're no, a style. No, 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 no. No, you don't avoid anything. I don't. Uh, if it's there and it can be sung and I can maybe alter it a little bit to fit my voice, yeah, I'll do it. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much. Unless its lyrics are out of character with me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We make this podcast in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes host. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're giving a nod to John Prime, who passed away this week from COVID-19. When I heard that news, the first person I thought of was our guest from episode 44, self-described recovering journalist Charlie Whitehead, because that's how song stories spread. You see, Charlie spent his formative years in western Kentucky. His first song story was about how, while growing up, his dad had made sure he and his brothers knew about the history of where they lived. He said, this song, Paradise, by John Prine, will always take him back to those times. And so it, and even just apparently John Prine's name, will always take me back to Charlie's story, and so also kind of back to western Kentucky. We did a lot of traveling around in western Kentucky, and we saw a lot of things, you know, the, the, the kind of things that John Prine talks about in the song Paradise are things that I remember seeing and or hearing about from that period in my childhood. When I was in high school, there was a, an old shelled out building that uh, us kids referred to as Hotel California. <laughs> where we did the sorts of things that teenagers do in abandoned buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, it makes me feel, it makes me remember those times. Uh, I've been to Muhlenberg County. I have seen, you know, I, I, I've seen what happened to those communities because of the coal mining and that sort of thing and the, uh, you know, progress, quote unquote, uh, that really shaped that part of the world for good or ill. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories.
<laughs> wah, wah, wah. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't.